CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the hash on Coindesk TV. It's Thursday, as they say around here. It's Friday late. All right. Welcome. I'm Zach. We got Christy Arkin. We got Jensen Hassey. We got Will Foxley. What a crew. What a squad. What a team. I love it. All right. I'm throwing a trade to Will. Will, take it away, my man. I got you. So Circle, the stablecoin company, and the Federal Reserve are throwing some fisticuffs at each other. Just kidding. It's not that bad. Yet, Circle is looking at saying like, hey, don't get in our territory. Don't issue a CBDC. Private stablecoins are good enough. Fed is not taking it in stride though and saying like, hey, we should look at creating our own CBDC, our own stable coin, a public dollar on, on our own ledger. Pretty interesting to see these two things happen at the same time. Circle's comments come after the Fed asked for notes from companies back in January. So these comments are pretty fresh. Jen, I want to throw this down to you. We talk about stable coins quite often on the show, and that's because they're really important nowadays. Like a lot of people use them. We've seen them tick up in interest in a lot of developing countries. And they make up a sizable portion of trading volume, right? This is how everyone moves in and out of their favorite coin. And then lastly, UST and Terra, that kind of caused a lot of the stir on Capitol Hill. Interested to get your take. So many things. So I remember a long time ago, I think, for one of the first stablecoin stories we spoke about, I said, why should we care about stablecoins? And your answer to me then, Will, was, this is something that you mainly traders use. And I think we're now seeing a lot of use cases that relate to everyone, which is great. I know earlier this week, we spoke about the World Economic Forum in Davos and Senator Pat Toomey kind of reiterated what we read in this article that we don't need CBDCs. Stable coins can fill that void. I think everyone on this show knows how I feel about CBDCs. I'm a little bit spooked out by them. I know a lot of the government bodies who are considering CBDCs say that they would take an ethical approach to CBDCs and they wouldn't have complete power and control over it. But I just wonder, you know, if, if a country gets into an emergency situation and I look at Canada, I look at what happened here with the truckers, if there was an emergency situation, do governments have too much power with CBDCs when it comes to pulling those levers on who can spend what and where? And I think the answer is yes. And I think the stablecoin 
community are right to point out that maybe this is a good alternative and solves a lot of the problems that governments are looking to solve with CBDCs. But Christy, I'll pass it up to you because you got a lot of maple leaf going on in your square today. (laughs) And I just got to support my fellow Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the leaves are out, but the the hoodie is warm. (laughs) I think there are two interesting sides to this. There's the, hey, guys, let us do our thing. You don't need to come into our territory. We've invested all this money. What are you doing? Let us, uh, you know, keep doing our thing. Stable coins are good. We can do this. I think the problem, though, is especially in the last few weeks, the narrative around stable coins has not been that great. Now, there's a difference between asset-backed stable coins and algorithmic stable coins. But in the narrative out there in mainstream media and probably a lot of others, they're not drawing that distinction. They're just like, oh, this is not cool. We need to do our part and do it and do it our way. They're also not thinking about the unbanked people that are using stable coins, the people who do not have a lot of financial access and for whom these are real lifesavers. What do they care if they can't get to their particular coin? They want to be able to. The CBDCs aren't intended necessarily for those people anyway, and that's not the market they're going after. They just want to be able to keep their share of the pie in terms of controlling financial assets in whatever form they may come in, which may be a cynical take, but that's kind of where my head is today. So yeah, (laughs) Will? Yeah, I'll pick it up. There's some interesting comments from Federal Reserve Vice Chair Lael Bernard. We were talking about CBDCs actually this morning, saying a CBD should coexist with and be complementary to stablecoins and commercial bank money by providing a safe central bank liability in the digital financial ecosystem. She goes on to quote a little bit more there, but the gist of the point is that it can be complementary. You don't need to just CBDCs and CBDCs alone. You can have a CBDC and all your million different types of uh, stablecoins out there. You can have a, an algo one. You can have an asset-backed one. You can have whatever you want. It's okay to have different stable coins and to try different things with these financial primitives. Putting a few words in her mouth there, but the main gist is like these things can be complementary and uh, they don't necessarily need to uh, outcompete one another. Zach, I'll throw it up to you. Yeah, it's really a moment for these asset-backed stablecoin issuers, right? They have a lot of sort of narrative cards to play. They can say, hey, look at that UST thing. That was crazy. We can't have algorithmic stablecoins getting people wrecked left and right. Look to us, asset-backed stablecoins. They're even rolling out sort of like the big geopolitical argument here, right? Circle is saying, hey, USDC is really going to help maintain the dollar's role as the world's reserve currency. That is the pitch to lawmakers in DC. We've heard it before. We're going to hear it more. It's interesting that you know they're rolling out all this narrative pressure to say, hey, private stablecoins are good. We can keep these things. We can keep them cool. Let us be. I'm not really like... I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit. Still, for the most part, stable coins are used by crypto traders to get in and out of positions or to escape to safety when the markets look real bad, as they do now. I don't think there's a lot of real-world stablecoin applications out there among, among the wider public. That's not to say that there may not be wider adoption somewhere down the line. And I think there are really interesting applications that can be used with these digital dollars that exist on a blockchain. But right now, it's, a, it's, it's mainly a crypto thing. And I think what we're going to see is some of these big narrative pushes from Circle, from Tether. From others who are going to say, hey, here's why these make sense. Don't nip this in the bud with all this talk of CBDCs and what they may ultimately look like. But let's change gears. I think we're going to Jen. Jen, what do you got? Before I get into my story, as you were describing the safe stablecoin, I imagined like those political ads and all of the asset-backed stablecoins, like we're the safe stablecoin. I think that's a great idea. 
stablecoin issuers, pay attention. Okay. On to our wallet wars. I'm still waiting for that swipe. Control, anytime you're ready to make that, we are ready. MetaMask is working on a plan to help victims of crypto scams and phishing attacks recover their lost assets. So they have a partnership now with Asset Reality, which will help MetaMask users build an investigation if they fall victim to fraud. So this was really interesting to me because we just learned about Beeple's Twitter account getting hacked. People clicked on that link trying to enter some kind of, I forget what it was, a raffle or something. And an, one ETH was stolen from your MetaMask wallet when you clicked on that. So here is a potential solution. I think it's interesting that MetaMask is looking for a solution like this as more and more wallets pop up. You know, they really need to think about their end user and end users we're used to dealing with our banks who have solutions for us if people steal our money. So I think this is a step in the right direction. I'm interested to see how it plays out. Zach, what do you got? Yeah, cool, interesting, sort of like definitely scratch, scratches and itch that is uh, being expressed loudly in the public uh, these days. But I'm kind of wondering, like, is this like a fool's errand? Like, I always wonder, like, how much money they can actually get back. And I don't know, maybe some phishing people and scammers are not so bright and they do things like take it to a centralized exchange and then entities like uh, this uh, firm that MetaMask is working with can sort of ask those entities like freeze funds and stuff. But I think there's like, I don't know, other more sophisticated ways to kind of get around some of these efforts. So I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical that this is going to like move the needle on getting these funds back to people who are impacted adversely by these scams. But it does seem like MetaMask, which is owned by Consensus, is saying, okay, we hear you, everybody, and we need to find a way to do at least a little bit of something should you fall victim to some of these many phishing scams that we're seeing in the crypto space now as it goes a bit more mainstream. So I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see if there's going to be like an update here, like a number in terms of assets recovered after this service is rolled out with MetaMask. But Jen, I'll toss it back to you. Yeah, I kind of agree with you as I was reading the story. So when you report that you've had assets stolen, they'll do an investigation in collaboration with Chainalysis, and they'll help you understand how your assets were stolen. And they'll also serve as an expert witness for you should you go to civil litigation. Um, and it sounds like they can help you along the steps of maybe taking a centralized exchange to court if your assets were stolen. And so I'm also curious if this will really move the needle and how much money we'll actually see recovered because it sounds like a laborious process. But Will, I'll pass it off to you. If there's a need, there's a market for it. And people obviously have a need for recovering this uncensorable money. So there's going to be a market developed for it. And someone's going to do that. I don't think it's going to work out. Like it's really, really hard to get these funds back. Like you're going to have to do on-chain analysis. You're going to have to do IP reporting. You're going to have to go physically locate these people, maybe even file police reports to recover stolen crypto. That's a lot of legwork. And oftentimes it's probably not worth it unless there's a lot of money stolen. So maybe if you had like a four, a few bored apes in your collection that got stolen, like you might use this, this seller team to come and crack on some doors and get your, your apes back. But for the $25,000 average that they quoted here, in this story, $25,000 for the average account that's being swiped, that's not enough really for anyone to do anything. That's, it sucks. And if there was in the, the normal banking world, you'd, you'd have some sort of recourse typically. But in the world of uncensorable money, there's not going to be a lot people can do. Zach, your take? 
I'm thinking about Seth Green and his stolen uh, apes right now. That's uh, you know the actor who's going to use the apes as sort of the foundation for a new like you know film project basically, and they got they got jacked. And so like I'm thinking about you know there there are instances in which this service uh, might indeed be worth it to people, right? And I think you know there's a fun, there's a nice quote in the piece from someone at MetaMask who's like, yeah, we just wanted to like have something so it wasn't just like good luck and a hearty handshake after you got. <laughs> wrecked by someone uh, for, you know, falling victim to what can be very sophisticated attacks these days. So it is nice to see that there is at least a gesture toward that. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that in partnership with this firm, they can really uh, brighten some people's days. But yeah, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. We'll see. Will. Yeah. One, one last thing. Most people <laughs> like sell their assets that they steal like very quickly. And then they launder things through like tornado cash. So how do you get around that? Christy, I'll give it to you. Yeah, I, I'm I, sorry. Today is just going to be like, I got nothing but salt for this. Um, oh, I, no. <laughs> I'm looking at a space where it's like you're at a position in a position now where you have to have this built in thing because there's so much freaking scamming going on. And yet people are still doing it. They're still in it. They're still throwing all kinds of money at it and life savings and whatever. And MetaMask is now like, okay, we're going to put this thing on it. That's going to, you know, potentially band-aid a couple of situations um, because it's the least we can do literally. And I, I just think that there's just like no cure for stupid anymore. And that is what is just going to keep happening in this space. They're doing it because they have to, because it keeps on freaking happening. And until people are wising up to, you know, what they are actually putting their money into and who's behind it, all the band-aids in the world aren't going to fix it. And this is just, I don't know. Again, like I say, this is just where my head is today. All nothing but salt. Love humans it. man humans <laughs> can't live with them can't live without them so yesterday the ethereum beacon chain experienced a seven block deep reorg reorganization i'll get into that in a second and it according to martin koppelman who brought this up on twitter and then i think is basically the guy who got the conversation rolling the current attestation strategy of nodes for the ethereum beacon chain should be reconsidered to hopefully result in a more stable chain and as he also notes, there are actually proposals out there that already exist. So what the heck happened? Okay, so a blockchain reorg is when you get two miners or two case validators, in this case, validators who create two blocks at essentially the same time. It's kind of like finishing a speed test in a class and two people put their hands up and yell done right on top of each other. So when a new block is proposed, it takes a bit of time for all the nodes to verify that that is the block and some will acknowledge the one block, let's say um, the red block, and others might acknowledge the other or the green block. So you have like a split, a momentary chain split. So in the rules of blockchain creation, the longest chain is the winner, right? But you've got now two blocks going on, and some people are going to want to have to figure out, are we going to build on the red block or the green block? What's supposed to happen is the next block gets mined, and it kind of goes, uh, green block, and it locks onto that one because it saw it first. And that now makes it the longest chain and everything should go tickety-boo on from there. Now, in this case, block 74 in the Ethereum beacon chain was a little late hitting some of the nodes and the next block was on time. So there was like a sort of stutter step in the timing of the blocks being broadcast. It's like tripping over yourself a little bit. So there's this thing now that 
they have, and I'm not going to get into it because, but it's, I call it like a magic fix called a boost. And you think of like Mario Kart where you're like on that little track and you go, boom, and it kind of jumps ahead Hell and yeah. everything's supposed to line up. But not this is all making so of, much sense. Yeah. So not all of the <laughs> Ethereum clients have this boost feature. Ethereum has what? How many clients are there? Well, like six clients that yeah, all around that five or six. Ethereum. Five or six. Not all of them have this little boost feature. So you had some of them sort of shooting the block along faster in the queue and others are like, eh, we can't catch up. The problem was that the attestation nodes that proposed the next few groups of blocks in a row weren't running the clients that had the boost feature. So basically you ended up with a timing glitch. And the odds of this happening are super duper low, but rah, conditions, they happened, which of course made everyone freak out. But this is not not a big deal. It is kind of a big deal because you don't want to be having chain splits and you don't want time continuum on the blockchain breaking, but it kind of did. Now, it sorted itself out in seven blocks, which again, not too big a deal, but yeah, seven blocks is kind of a big deal. Now, can this get fixed? Yes, it can. If all of the clients were to get this little magic boost feature, apparently from what I'm reading, then this should even itself out and it shouldn't happen again and it shouldn't be as big a deal. And that's why we test things. And that's why, you know, when crap happens, we try to come up with solutions. But everything's hunky-dory now, no big deal, except kind of a big deal because we want to make sure it doesn't happen again. Okay, who wants to weigh in on this? I'll snag it, I'll <laughs> well, snag it. I'm glad there's no Bitcoin maximalists on this show. Otherwise, this would just be like a shouting match between all of us. And actually, that could be pretty entertaining. So who knows? It could be uh, me. Could be you. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day. Uh, th this one story day. matters because blockchains are a different way for settling money. Traditionally, in banks, person who's selling your money is also responsible for it in a legal sense. You know whose door to knock on if something ends up not working. With blockchains, that's not always the case. There's this independent, decentralized network of computers that are all working together and against each other to settle your money. And if something goes wrong, basically, it's whose fault, your fault for using the system. Uh, in this case, it's a little bit different because the Ethereum team is culpable because they've designed it. And if it's not built correctly, then people are going to get mad at the devs. Can't sue the devs, but you can definitely lash out at them on Twitter at the very least. Uh, with these reorgs, what we see is that money is not settling in the way that it's supposed to. Again, if you're using a traditional bank account or using a traditional exchange, your money is going to settle the way that it's supposed to be executed. And if not, you have a legal claim. Here, the money wasn't settled correctly. And so there's not much you can do about it. Luckily, the beacon chain, like you said, Christy, is still experimental. There's actually no money on the chain right now. It will have money, hopefully this year, moving on top of it. But it tells you, like, is this thing ready for live action? And a lot of people after this incident are looking at it and saying, like, uh, maybe we should wait a little bit longer and change some parameters so that when this thing is live, people can trust that the money is going to flow correctly with how it's supposed to operate. Zach, I'll give it to you for your take. I'm just going to ask some more questions. So, Christy, in terms of the proposals that are that were mentioned as being out there, is there any sort of, I don't know, consensus at the social layer around what's the best way forward to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen again? I, I haven't seen on the social level a whole lot of people who actually know what's going on to weigh in on it properly. I think there's a lot of hand-wringing from what I've seen. There is a measured take out there, but it's a big deal, but it's not a big deal. It's a big deal because you don't want stuff breaking. You want to make sure you deal with it. 
but it's not such that things are completely screwed up and there's no hope. So I think that that is the message that I'm seeing that's out there right now in social media world. This is not an, a brand new thing that it, it's happened on Bitcoin, <laughs> not for a long time and not you know drastically, but it happens. And what you have to also appreciate is that blocks that are mined at the same time that cause the splits in the first place tend, tend, tend to have the same transactions in them to begin with. So it's not like you have a completely different version of even the transactions. They often are the same transactions. Those transactions that should have been mined in the red block got mined in the green block. <laughs> and yeah, you've got an orphan block, but the block that got left behind probably doesn't have a whole lot going on in it that is going to break anything. And any transactions that may not have made it into the other block got thrown back into the mempool for the next time around. Just a question. So is this going to affect the anticipated merge, the thing we are all waiting for? Should we expect that to be delayed further now? Let's take a bet. I, I'm going to ask Will. <laughs> we should all do a bet. We, we never do anything gamifying on this show. It might delay the merge. I think they'd probably just have to change some parameters. They might have to do a hard fork on the beacon chain, which has happened a few times just for like updates to the beacon chain. And that could push the merge date back a little bit. So I would say, yes, it could. Like a 30% chance, 20% chance that they delay the merge because of this. Depends on how severely they take it. Maybe they maybe they find a fix really quickly. Maybe it's like not a big deal. But from what I'm seeing so far, it does look like a big deal. Yeah. I think the other issue is going to be how much of an attack vector does this become? Because if it was a glitch, like I think I'm seeing from the discussion, that's one thing. But if it also reveals a, a potential attack vector on the chain down the road, um, and that is part of another part of the discussion, then that is something that they're going to have to take a look at and see what can be done in order to mitigate that as a potential problem. It's one thing for it to happen by accident. It's another thing to make it a, a vulnerability that somebody can exploit. So there are lessons to be learned. For sure. We love the lessons. All right, we're going to change gears here. We're going to go to what could ultimately be a lesson in DAO governance. This one right here is kind of interesting, and people are talking about this on Twitter and elsewhere. The story basically is that there's a thing called Merit Circle. And for the sake of this story, there's Merit Circle, the company, and Merit Circle, the DAO. So Merit Circle, the company, agreed to be invested in by Yield Guild Games. That was not huge money. I think it was like 175K as outlined in this story. But this was part of the investment. YGG did that. But then after they did that, Merit Circle, the DAO, got grumpy and said, we don't think that they're bringing value to this deal. And we want to get out of this contract that Merit Circle, the company entered into with YGG. Now, this is interesting because it brings up a lot of questions, questions as to whether DAO should be able to do this. Should they be able to put the company, the founders in this instance, in potential legal hot water over their particular feelings about the terms of this deal? And right now we're seeing this unfold publicly. There's proposals in the Merit Circle community. Uh, YGG issued a statement last night, and we sort of summarized the drama in this piece here, which is potentially interesting for how DAOs govern themselves going forward as it relates to the real world of legal entities, courts, and all that stuff. So I'm going to throw this straight to Christy for initial assessment. What about this story stands out to you, and why might it matter if it doesn't matter already? 
Oh, I want to just pick up on one thing that you mentioned about, you know, should DAOs be able to blah, blah, blah. And I think that is sort of at the heart of what a DAO is. Should DAOs be able to blah, blah, blah? Yeah, because that's kind of the point. The (laughs) members get together and they go, we don't like the way that blah, blah, blah is happening. So we're going to blah, blah right back at them and say, we want to do this instead of that. That's why there are governance tokens. That's why people participate because they want that kind of say in how things are happening. And if they don't think things are happening the way that they signed up for it to be happening, then they can take their toys and go home or send the others home. And I think that's what's happening in this case. They're able to take that step back and go, you guys aren't offering us anything that you promised. It's one thing to get money. It's another thing to get promises of other investors and introductions and leverage. And if they're not getting that, yeah, go on and let us govern ourselves in a different direction. So yeah, that's for me, that's the point of the DAO. Otherwise, why do it? Yeah, before I give my take, I think I must disclose that I am a content director for a lab that is the core contributor to a DAO. So have fun figuring that out while I share my opinion here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll get into it another day. So I thought this was really interesting because we have the DAO and we have the legal entity. And the legal entity, the corporation, signed the contract. And it's unclear if the DAO saw that contract before it was signed. So the DAO was under the impression that they were going to get social media, they were going to get support, they were going to get introduced to other investors. But it is very possible that the people who signed the contract saw the contract. It didn't have anything to do with social media and intros to new investors. And they entered into that agreement without letting the DAO know. And I think this is just where the, where the disconnect happened. You, you join a DAO. I think there's not a lot of information on how much power you actually have when you're part of that community. And I, and I think right now it is just that community. There are still people in place who are making decisions on behalf of the DAO, who are signing contracts on behalf of the DAO. This community didn't all get together and sign this contract. And so I don't really think they have a say here. That's just my take, Will. I don't know if I have better take than you. DAOs and NFTs are definitely things that I just like have no interest. The alphabet things. We should just call them that. The alphabet things. They're so confusing, right? They're so confusing. Like I see some applications for DAOs. NFTs make sense in the gaming landscape, but it always seems to end up in bickering and fighting somehow. Like every DAO story I feel like we talk about is DAO X is mad at person Y or the other way around. And it's because like the structure of it is just so ambiguous. You don't know if like who's in charge, who wants what. It doesn't really make sense. Like maybe in five, 10 years, we could figure this out. But to me, this is just like another Dow story where someone's mad at somebody else. Sun keeps coming up every day. It's the same thing. Zach, your take? I guess my take is like, if this gets seen as Dow's being a means to escape legal agreements with real world legal entities. I think that's a really like slippery slope that DAOs could be <laughs> entering on, right? It's like, okay, yeah, the company did this deal, but now it's now we're run by the DAO and the DAO says, that deal sucks. Are companies going to want to like enter into spoken. agreements with DAOs now? Like, I don't know. I think that's there's potential ramifications beyond the particulars of this case. You know, YGG says, hey, we never promised any value add services. What are they talking about? And, you know, whatever the misunderstanding is that led to that, that uh, that initial rift. I don't know. I'm not here to arbitrate that, but I do think that there are ramifications for how DAOs continue to interact with real world legal structures. And I think like this could be potentially like a landmark instance of seeing how this gets hashed out and whether or not it ultimately spooks you know known 
companies and entities from interacting with these DAOs, these other things that are in this kind of gray area right now. But Will, I'll toss it to you for your last thoughts. Okay. I think I saw you again. Last thought, you sparked a business idea that all of us could get on the ground floor of right now, oh which is legal gosh. arbitration between DAOs. We form a DAO for legal arbitration between different DAOs. Law DAO. DAO. Law DAO. <laughs> you guys in? I'm, I'm yeah. down. I'm head of the DAO. No pun intended. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm down. <laughs> okay, Jen's oh <laughs> <All right. laughs> Don't give me out of the DAO. <laughs> we vote puns like that. There's, I've been there's simply no guys. choice. Governance uh, proposal number one. Uh, okay, we shut it down. Jen and her puns. All right, we're shutting it down. Show's over. <laughs> it's done. The hash is over for today. Thanks for being with us on a Thursday. We'll be back tomorrow for the Friday show. It's always fun. Hey, I'm Zach. That's Will. Christy's here. Jen's there. Uh, that's it. Check us out on the podcast. Lots of good podcasts on the Coindesk Podcast Network. If you haven't had a chance to go check out this, The Breakdown, The Daily Crypto News Roundup. They're all great. Give it a listen. On the go. We're here wherever you are. In your ears. All right, that's it. Consensus coming up. Plugging that as well, but I'm doing it short. That's it. Check it out. It's good stuff. A lot of people going down there. It's going to be fun. Bye, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Have a good day. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 